Beyond the Collabo Babble is now in session. I could not have gotten through that case without collaboration, without teamwork, without all the assistance and all the support that I was lucky to get, not only from folks within the 18th and specifically Arapahoe County, but from the state court administrator's office and from other, other districts. Beyond the Collabo Babble. Meet the people behind the studies, programs, projects, and initiatives. Beyond the Collabo Babble. Keeping you motivated and focused through the challenges. Beyond the Collabo Babble. Sparking innovation, improvement, and reform. Beyond the Collabo Babble. Listen, learn, lead, take action. Listen, learn, lead, take action. Listen, learn, lead. Take action. Welcome to Beyond the Collabo Babble, a podcast committed to sharing stories of collaboration, systems improvement, and systems reform in the Colorado courts, and introducing you to the people leading these efforts and taking action. The star of today's podcast is Supreme Court Justice Carlos Samor. I am your host, Bill Delicio, the Family Law Program Manager at the Colorado State Court Administrator's Office, Court Services Division. Justice Samor, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Bill. How are you? I'm good. Can you let our audience know where we are today recording this podcast? We are in my chambers yeah. here in the um, Rothkar building and specifically the, the court tower on the fourth floor. And uh, I've only been here about five months, so okay. I'm still uh, getting used to the wonderful view and the great offices that we have here. Well, thank you for having me today. And I want to start this podcast like I start all of them, asking the guests, what does Beyond the Collabo Babble mean to you? So, um, to me, it means excitement about collaboration and interest in collaboration and wanting to talk with enthusiasm about the concept of collaboration, what it means and what role it plays, and specifically, um, what a place it has here in the judicial branch in Colorado. Yeah. So can you just tell our audience the story of how uh, your career progressed and how you did end up here at the Colorado Supreme Court? So I um, moved here from El Salvador. I was born in El Salvador and my family and I uh, fled El Salvador when I was 13 uh, as a result of political upheaval. That was back in 1979. I was in the middle of my eighth grade at the time. Um, The school year here was about to start uh, when we moved here in August of 1979. And so my parents had to decide whether to put me back a half a year or ahead of a half a year. And they decided to put us all a half a a half a year ahead. And so my siblings and I sort of skipped uh, half a grade or at least most of my siblings. And so I started in ninth grade. And so whenever I, I don't know something, I blame it on the second half of my eighth grade. Okay. <laughs> I tell people I must have missed it in eighth grade. Um, but anyway, I, I went to Columbine High School. Uh, I actually attended Columbine High School for about a month. And my parents were called in by the teachers and um, said, you know, he, he's not able to keep up because he doesn't speak English. And um, the teachers for my siblings did the same thing. And so they decided to switch us to schools that offered English as a second language, ESL. And so we uh, attended those schools for about a year before we returned to the regular schools or the the schools where we had originally been enrolled. And so 
Uh, I went to Alameda Junior High for a year, completed my ninth grade, went back to Columbine High School, graduated from Columbine, um, and then from there I attended the University of Colorado, uh, the Denver campus. I graduated from CU Denver, and I attended DU Law School, and um, graduated from there in 1990. I clerked for a judge on the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, Judge Rob, uh, excuse me, Judge Bob McWilliams, uh, Robert McWilliams. I did that for a year. Uh, after the United States Court of Appeals for the 10th Circuit um, and the clerkship I did, I did there, I went to work for Holland and Hart. And I did that for almost five years. That's a big firm here in town that does civil litigation. And then my uh, calling to do public service was too strong that I, I couldn't um, resist the temptation to make the switch. And so I did make the switch at that point and went to work for Bill Ritter, who was then the uh, elected district attorney in Denver. Um, I was a prosecutor in Denver, in the Denver DA's office, for about 10 years. Eight of those years under Bill Ritter's um, leadership and the last couple of years under Mitch Morrissey's leadership because Bill Ritter was term limited. Uh, and then I got appointed by Governor Bill Owens to the district court bench in the 18th Judicial District. In, it was at the end of 2006, but effective 2007. Uh, January 2nd. And I was there for 11 and a half years. The last four of those years, I was the chief judge of the 18th. Um, that's thanks to uh, the appointment by Chief Justice Nancy Rice, who appointed me chief, just, chief judge of the uh, Judicial District on July, effective July 1, 2014. And then um, I was appointed by Governor uh, Hickenlooper uh, to the Supreme Court effective July 2nd, uh, 2018. And so here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Well, can you talk a little bit about how you viewed collaboration early on in your career? And, uh, and then as a district court judge and a chief judge, it sounds like you were already working in the district court as a, as a prosecutor. Is that right? Or both county court and, and? Well, I was working as a prosecutor in Denver. Okay. Um, and I did, yes, I did county court. I did juvenile court. I did district court. I actually did a stint for two years in the drug court in Denver as well. Okay. And then I got a, I got appointed to the district court bench in, in the 18th, which would be Arapahoe, oh. Douglas, Lincoln, and Elbert County. Um, and so... Uh, collaboration has been an important part of my career wherever I've been, whether it's at Holland and Hart or the DA's office or um, on the bench. And specifically with respect to the bench, I learned quickly that <clears throat> in order to be successful as a judge, you really have to collaborate. You really have to be part of a team. Uh, it's interesting because as a judge, you are working in your courtroom and you're assigned a particular division with particular a particular docket. And those are your individual cases. Nobody else is in charge of those cases. Those are cases that you are in charge of. And yet it's a group effort. It's a mission to do justice that requires teamwork and collegiality and um, related to that collaboration. So, for example, when somebody gets sick and they can't come into work, somebody has to step up and say, you know what, I'll help. I'll volunteer. I'm able to take that docket. I'm, I'm able to absorb that person's docket today. 
or perhaps somebody has a death in their family and they're going to be out um, for a week or an extended period of time, uh, or somebody's ill. Um, and people have to step up and volunteer and, and work together. There are other times when perhaps you have a question about a particular area of the law that you're not as familiar with as another judge or another judicial officer. And so it helps to consult with each other. We all have different backgrounds and different strengths and different weaknesses, if you will, different areas that maybe we're more familiar with. And so it helps to, to talk to one another and to consult with one another. Um, but even beyond um, the judicial officers that, who are your colleagues, there are judicial officers throughout the branch. And it's not unusual for people to send an email to all the district court judges in the state and to ask, hey, has anybody dealt with this issue before? Uh, and if so, how did you handle it? Any ideas, any suggestions? And that makes sense because you don't want to be reinventing the wheel. And certainly at the uh, trial court level, you don't have the time off, uh, usually to, um, to, be, to be looking into a, a particular issue um, with a lot of time and, and um, because an issue may come up when you're in trial, for example, or as you're doing a docket. And so, um, so that happens. And then I would say that outside of the branch, you have to collaborate with other stakeholders. You know, it takes everybody to work together. And I would tell, tell the lawyers in my courtroom, uh, you know, the DAs, the public defenders, um, as well as probation, the sheriffs, everybody, this will take collaboration. We all have to work together. And communication was a big part of that. I, I encouraged communication. I wanted to know, are things working? How can we do things better? Um, what can I do to make your life easier? What am I doing that is making your life harder? Uh, and then to the extent that you can change those things, then those are things you want to know about and you want to try to change or you want to try to keep doing them if, if they're working well. Yeah. So, so as a district court judge, you really used collaboration to run your own docket, but also work with your colleagues in the building. And then when you were appointed to be the chief judge, um, did that, ha did that change or was that the same approach? Um, did you get some real formal authority as the chief judge or was collaboration even more necessary at that point? I would say collaboration was even more important at that point because my role then as chief judge is the leader of the judicial district. And, you know, I'm responsible then for making sure I bring everybody together. And, you know, the very, the very first email that I sent as chief judge of the 18th, that this was the first email that I sent to everyone in the 18th in my role as chief judge. That includes all judicial officers, probation, the probation department and staff. It had to do with teamwork because I, I knew that that was going to be key. If I was going to be successful, I knew we needed teamwork. I couldn't do this on my own. I couldn't lead the district on my own. And, and also, we as a district in the 18th could not accomplish everything that we were capable of accomplishing unless we worked as a team. And so that was the first theme that I hit it was, hey, we need to be a team. We need to, to uh, this needs to be teamwork. It needs to be team, there needs to be team effort. And so that was critical. And, but not only did I find that collaboration was critical or crucial within the 18th, but then also outside the 18th with other chief judges. You know, we have a chief judges council, as you know, 
And that committee, that council meets every quarter. And we have discussions about issues that affect the branch. And if we don't work together as with chief judges and also with the directors of SCAO, uh, the state court administrator's office, and with the chief justice, uh, we cannot thrive as a branch. And so I learned quickly that, again, it takes collaboration at that level. And then beyond that, obviously, collaboration with, with stakeholders. And as a chief judge, you know, you're the face of the district. You're the one representing the district. Uh, and so when people want something changed in the district or they want to talk to someone about things that are going on in the district, the person they reach out to is the chief judge usually, and that was me. And so whether it was probation or, you know, uh, organizations like CASA, um, court-appointed special advocates, um, or um, whether it was the sheriff's department, or whether it was the DA's office, the public defender's office, alternate defense council, um, private, the private bar, the Arapahoe County Bar Association, you name it. Um, you as the chief judge are representing the 18th Judicial District, and you got to do what's in the best interest of the district. And in order to, to do that, I think you have to find a way to collaborate with all the stakeholders and to work together with everyone. Um, and now that doesn't mean that you're always going to agree. Um, we didn't always agree on things, but we at least had communication. We at least had um, efforts to try to see if we could come to a consensus. We at least had an understanding about why we were going to do things the way we were going to do them. Um, uh, we at least uh, had the ability to convey to each other concerns that we had, and we worked together to try to address uh, those concerns. And so I think collaboration uh, was critical during my, my term as chief judge. Were there any surprises or anything that even though you had a lot of experience in the law and, and even being a district court judge, that when you walked into that, uh, into that chair or into that office that you had some surprises like, oh, I didn't. I didn't necessarily know it was this extensive or I didn't think about this or th just something that maybe had an aha moment when you, when you kind of shifted into that new responsibility. Yeah. A lot of things, a lot of things were surprising. And frankly, it didn't, you know, when I became chief judge of the 18th, I was in the middle of a big trial, the Aurora theater shooting trial. And so and we were about a half a year away from trial. So we were gearing up. You know, we were trying to finalize all the pretrial motions, the hundreds of pretrial motions that were filed that I had to rule on. And we were getting ready for trial, which took a lot of time and a lot of preparation. Um, <clears throat> and I think people, knowing that, sort of took it easy on me and kind of left me alone. Okay. And so, you know, I... Uh, this would have been the middle of 2014. The trial started uh, January 2015, and the trial ended in August, the end of August of 2015, I think is when we had the sentencing hearing. Um, I think it was January 26th was the final date. So <clears throat> in September of 2015, after I had been chief judge for over a year, I got bombarded with all these emails and oh, okay. people contacting me and people. And so that's when I think I really realized, oh my goodness, you know, there's a whole lot more to this yeah. than, than I had realized as a judge. Yeah. Well, during the, 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 the theater shooting trial, I mean, you employed, I think this teamwork to a large, um, 
on a very large scale. I know I had the honor of being able to assist for a couple of weeks with the jury selection and seeing you firsthand work with what it felt like thousands and thousands of jurors coming in every morning and afternoon. And the whole courthouse was working together to, to, to bring this trial to fruition and people from around the branch coming together to support it. A perfect example of teamwork and collaboration. Could you, do you want to talk a little bit more about, I don't know, some of the lessons that you learned from that big trial that might help others who are, fa- I, as I understand it right now, there's quite a few big trials going on around the state. Absolutely. I could not have gotten through that case without collaboration, without teamwork, without all the assistance and all the support that I was lucky to get, not only from folks within the 18th and specifically Arapahoe County, but from the state court administrator's office and from other, other districts. Uh, you mentioned that for jury selection, we had volunteers from the state court administrator's office, including you, that we were delighted to have, and people from other judicial districts that um, my district administrator, Lori McKager, was comfortable with, that she knew or that she had talked to others about and was comfortable that they would do a good job, they could be trusted. And as you mentioned, we had for about three weeks, the first three weeks, every day we had, I think, we, we had anywhere between, you know, 110 to 150 prospective jurors coming in in the morning and then again in the afternoon. And that's a large group of people to be dealing with twice a day, in addition to all the other mm. things that are going on in the courthouse that other people are dealing with. And so, you know, it's not like we could just shut down the courthouse and say, okay, we're just going to deal with these 300 or however many people we were having come in at a couple of different times a day. We had to bring those people in without disrupting the operation of the courthouse, without interfering with everybody else's work. And that was the tricky part. And I'm proud that we were able to do it. But the reason we were able to do it is because of the team effort. And so it took, you know, I think at one point we had, during those three weeks, I believe we had 40, a team of 40, 40 people working just on that case and just on jury selection. That included you, that included other people from the state court administrator's office, that included people from other judicial districts. And what was uh, challenging, but also neat, is that these were folks that I had never worked with before, and they had never worked with us before. And so, you know, it took a little bit of um, quickly getting to know each other and sort of getting used to each other, but trusting each other without a whole lot of, of, of experience necessarily. Yeah. And so I think it's a testament to the judicial branch and the judicial branch culture and the commitment to public service that the employees of the branch have. And that was just an example when the, when the, when the call came out, people answered that call. And um, I agree a hundred percent. I agree a hundred percent. And, you know, initially when, when, um, when I heard that SCAO wanted to come out, you know, the state, somebody from the state court administrator's office wanted to come out and check out our courthouse and uh, our operation, or at least the plans that we had, I, I got a little worried mm-hmm. that they were going to try to butt in and, you know, I didn't want any interference. It ended up being just the opposite. Um, we could not have survived without their help. And at no point did they ever uh, try to take over or did they ever buddy? And it was the attitude was, "Hey, judge, we're here for you. How can we help you? What can we yeah. do to help? How can we be of assistance?" It was never 
hey, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, yeah. let me tell you a better way of doing yeah. it or the logistics you have in place are not going to work. Let me suggest to you a better way. It was never like that. And so I was, you know, not having worked with a lot of those folks when we first got the the um, notice or, or when we first learned that they wanted to come out, we were a little reluctant, which is part of the trust, right? Yeah. When you don't know someone, when you haven't gone through something, you know, you, you wonder how it's, what, what they want and, and yeah. what they're going to say. But as it turned out, I, I, like I said, we, we got lucky because without that assistance, we could not have made it. Yeah. And I thought about it for the first time when we were talking here about every other case that was set in the courthouse during that time frame and how important that was to each one of those litigants and not disrupting that is very important. And, and it's easy to focus on the trial that you were volunteering in or working on, but it actually benefited a lot more people who had business at court during that time. So that's, that was a really uh, successful collaboration. And yeah. And you know, to that point, Bill, it's the fact that uh, we had so many great volunteers that allowed the rest of the operations to continue because otherwise we would have had, we would have been required to borrow people from other divisions. Right. And so other judges would have been short staffed or maybe we would have, been required to um, uh, do other things that would have been disruptive to other divisions. But as a result of having uh, this infusion of talent and skill from volunteers from outside, we were able to avoid that. And I can tell you that people were extremely grateful uh, mm -hmm. after this was over. Yeah. Uh, a lot of my colleagues came up to me and were thankful that we were able to do this without um, affecting their uh, everyday life yeah. very much. So something I wanted to go back to that you mentioned that I thought was interesting is, so people were probably holding back on some of their requests or some of their meeting invitations because they knew that you had a very important trial that was taking up a lot of time, lots of motions every day that you were probably ruling on. So what were some of those things that, that, that finally when um, this trial was concluded that you that you had to start to deal with that, that surprised you? So the first thing that surprised me was that this honeymoon period that I, that I had for purpose of the chief judge role ended like a week after the trial. You know, I started getting emails. Well, now that you've rested, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, <laughs> one week. One week, yeah, sure. Right? <laughs> now that you're all rested, you know, I, I had been in this case. I think I, I got assigned the case April 1, uh, 2013. And this went on till August, the end of August of 2015. And so then I started getting emails just a few days later, now that you're arrested. So that was the first thing that I chuckled about. <laughs> but the second thing was, uh, you know, I started getting emails from everywhere, right? Outside organizations that wanted to meet with me, that wanted to maybe just chat with me since I'm the, the chief judge and they hadn't had a chance to do that. Uh, and I had done a little bit of that while I was, you know, on the on the Aurora Theater shooting case. But um, there were also requests or questions from some of my colleagues, right? Policies that they wanted to visit with me about or, you know, questions that they had. And I started learning that it's not unusual for the chief judge to get emails or questions from from your colleagues on the bench, questions that come up that they want assistance with, that they want your advice on. Some of them legal questions related to their cases and some of them um, related to other things, you know, that are still uh, with respect to work, but mm -hmm. 
that they want your thoughts on or that maybe they want you to bring up at a non-bank or that maybe they want to, to see if there's a way to, to have a different policy on them. That doesn't mean that I did nothing related to the chief judge position for, you know, the better, or for a year and a half or so, um, or for a year and three months or whatever it was, a year and a month. Um, I was doing chief judge stuff during that time. And, um, but I, I definitely realized after the, the case was over that people were holding off to some extent because they were being uh, uh, trying to be nice to me and, yeah. and being sensitive to what I was going through. And some of those discrete issues, I'm guessing, that came to your desk after the trial were the type of things that they knew you probably didn't have the time to really sink your teeth into. But then after the trial, they wanted to talk about those discrete issues. Exactly. And you had, you mentioned Lori McKegger was your district administrator or court executive. And I, I give Lori a shout out. She's the person who brought me to Colorado and was a professor of mine in grad school. And so you had a team approach too. I mean, your, your, your district administrator's office at the time was very much involved in supporting that trial as well as ongoing operations of the judicial district. Because like you said, People keep coming through the door every day. <laughs> right. So, so how important was that collaboration for you? Oh, it was huge. It was huge. And um, Lori and her assistant at the time, Sean Clark, who is now the district administrator. So she took over for Lori after Lori retired. They were critical. I mean, they just, they, you know, I was in charge of the legal um, aspects of the case. Anything that had to do with ruling on the case and being the judge in the case, that was all me. But there were things outside the, the actual um, analysis of legal issues that had to do with logistics. For example, jury selection, right? That's a perfect example. And I was involved in that, obviously, because I, I you know, needed to have things done in a certain way. But I communicated a lot with Lori and Sean and you know, we exchanged ideas and we talked about advantages and disadvantages of doing things in one particular way or doing them in a different way. There were things about the reality of our courthouse, about how things work every day, where, what time prospective jurors show up, how jury summonses work that I didn't know about that they were experts on. And so it would have been stupid for me to, to ignore them or to keep them out of the loop. Uh, Gail Pickards, who's now the, the district administrator in Jefferson County, was also involved. She was, at the time, part of the administration team in Arapahoe County, or in the 18th. So she was very much involved. Um, Rob McCollum was very involved, as well as John Sarchet, to, mm -hmm. to, um, to some degree, or to, um, I guess, a little bit uh, um, uh, lesser degree than, than Rob. But both of them were very involved. Uh, the media was a, a huge aspect of this and something that we had to deal with. And so Rob was involved in the planning of certain issues. And, you know, what, what, was, what was really great about it is that we trusted each other. And so I, although we had all these discussions and we, we planned together, there were also things that I trusted them with that I didn't need to be involved. And they were very good about not taking my time on those issues that they knew they they should handle. And I trusted them to take care of those things. And so one example is, you know, Sean uh, put together a schedule for all the volunteers because we had so many volunteers. And she did that on her own. I didn't say, hey, you should put together a schedule. But that's something that she realized 
we were going to have to have because there were going to be so many people working on this project and this case that we needed to have some kind of schedule as to where each person was going to be and what each person was going to be doing. Well, she did that, you know, and I learned later about some of these things that they were doing behind the scenes. Same thing with Rob and John, same thing with Gail, same thing with everybody who was involved. So um, it took a team effort. And then my, my, my division itself, you know, I had my division clerk at the time was Cheryl Robinson. She was involved and, and had specific responsibilities. And my law clerks were Anna Gerlings and Jessica, Jessica Zagel, and they had a critical role. The court reporters played a crucial role in this, and we had to talk to them about certain issues. And so Joyce Martin and Kathy Trojanic were both very involved in, in the whole process. And so we had to talk to them as well and plan certain things with them. And so it took um, a great deal of collaboration. And um, have, had you at any time in your career had as much media attention on a particular case maybe you handled as a judge or a prosecutor? Never. No, this was the most uh, media coverage of any case that I've ever been involved with. And uh, you know, I think it was um, as much media coverage as probably any case has ever received in Colorado. And so that's why Rob and John were so huge in this, because we this was going to be an aspect of the case, part of the reality of the case that we were going to have to deal with. And those guys are just uh, masterful yeah. at working with the media. Yeah. And so I, I was very lucky that not only did I have collaboration, but I had collaboration with experts, you know, with the, in my view, the best of the best in every area, whether it's administration, whether it was uh, the media, you name it. I had people who were incredibly skilled and talented and are team players. There wasn't a single person who just wanted to sort of be on his or her own and do things his or her own way. Everybody wanted to be part of a team. So even getting down to the most uh, basic thing of the space that you're working in and the courthouse and the the, the land uh, around the courthouse, et cetera, with such a big case, you really have to adapt for things that planning of the building probably never uh, expected. Not as many jurors, not as many parking spots needed to be available. I mean, you probably had to bring in, if I recall, some shuttles. I mean, there were some different, like really big different changes to the to the operations. And I'm guessing law school and all your legal training didn't prepare you for that. <laughs> no, I'm afraid it didn't. Yeah. But you're absolutely right, Bill. That's a that's an insightful observation. And you're absolutely right. We had to um, deal with parking limitations and we had to use uh, off-site parking for some for parts of the of the proceedings. Um, we had to use a bus then to shuttle people from that parking lot over to our courthouse. Um, we, we had to deal with the sheriff in terms of security, right? Security had to be, was going to be different and, and it was. And so we had to work with the sheriff's, um, department in that area. Um, we had to build a new, uh, jury box. We reconstructed the jury box because I, I decided that I needed 12 alternates. Uh, the last thing I wanted to do in such a long trial, which with such pervasive media coverage is get to the middle of the trial and then somehow because of jurors who have to be dismissed, end up having to end up having less than 12 jurors and having to start over again. I did not want that to ever happen. And so I wanted to have one 
alternate alternate juror for every deliberating juror. And so to have 24, I was going to need a jury box that was bigger than the one we had. And so we reconstructed, we had that reconstructed. That meant that we had to bring, we had to talk to the county, right? Yeah. The Board of County Commissioners. Same thing for the, for the buses, you know, for the parking. Same thing for the security. We had to get grants. We had to apply for grants from, from the um, uh, SCAO, you know, and work with the security folks who are in charge of those. To get grants for uh, for the extra security that was going to be necessary, I mean, it was just a huge, huge uh, undertaking, and it doesn't happen without teamwork and without collaboration. Yeah, well, having the opportunity to be there, I saw I saw how you conducted that that proceeding and and working with all the volunteers, and that was the first time I met you. And I have to say that for sure, I was like, I just found you to be such a gracious person in this very high profile situation, lots of stress, I'm sure. Um, I was really impressed with obviously all the administration, all the people in your court, all the staff that you've mentioned, but also you judge. So uh, that was, that was a a good experience in a career of judicial administration to kind of see it firsthand for a few weeks. And I think you. you did a great, I think you did a great job with, with, with just bringing everybody together. Like you said, collaboration, how else would you be able to do something like that. Thank you. I I was impressed, very impressed with all the volunteers that we had who just really were committed to uh, doing this the right way and doing an outstanding job. And I, I could not have asked for a better group of folks. So, so as a big picture kind of question, um, and and now being serving as a justice on the Supreme Court, what are you you know hoping to to uh, accomplish? Sort of some of the administrative work that you do. Or first, let me start to say you were a chief judge, so you're probably tuned into some of the administrative work. But there's liaison assignments and rule committee assignments when you're on the Supreme Court. Um, it's not always uh, arguments in the courtroom and writing opinions. So what do you, you know, on an administrative level, are there some things you'd like to accomplish while you're here? Yeah, I am involved in several committees and um, I consider all their work very important. And so I'm, um, I'm honored to be uh, involved in all those committees. Just by way of example, I'm the chair of the uh, model criminal jury instructions committee. Uh, that committee's work is really important because we draft instructions that serve as a model. You know, th- these serve as model instructions for the trial courts throughout the state. And so, you know, it takes a lot of work and a lot of thought to make sure that what you're putting out there are hopefully um, accurate reflections of the law. Uh, I'm also involved with the Rules uh, of Evidence Committee. Um, obviously, that's a very important committee because. That committee is looking at the rules that govern the admission of evidence in trials uh, throughout the the trial courts here in Colorado. I'm involved in the, um, and I'm the liaison to that committee, by the way. I'm also the liaison, the court's liaison to the criminal rules uh, of procedure committee. Um, Again, important work because those rules govern the procedures in criminal courts in Colorado. Uh, And I am... uh, the uh, chair of the Bail Blue Ribbon Commission, um, which is looking at our bail practices in Colorado and our pretrial um, 
the decisions that we make in terms of whether someone is retained in custody or not and how you know we're exploring ways to improve that so very important work um all of it very challenging but all of it very important and i've always had the view that the mission of our branch is to do justice and to me being part of all these committees um is related to the advancement of that mission and how do we as a branch strive to uh to do justice to accomplish our mission and um that's what i always try to keep in mind as i'm working on all these committees and as i am engaged in administrative matters is you know how do we serve the community in colorado all the communities in colorado um, by doing justice or by trying to improve the system so that uh, our courts can better do justice, can better accomplish our mission to do justice. So we probably don't have time to get into it too deeply today, but the Blue Ribbon Commission, is that also maybe could be seen as part of a larger criminal justice reform that people are talking about across the country these days? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. This is a trend, and a lot of states are looking at this. Some states have already made some changes, some significant changes. And the role of our committee is to look at uh, what we're doing in Colorado and to explore uh, if there are better ways of doing it. And then our charge is to come up with recommendations. And then we're going to submit those recommendations to our court, to the Supreme Court. And then that way the Supreme Court can decide how to proceed once it receives the recommendations from the commission. Um, But yeah, this is definitely uh, a topic that uh, a lot of people are looking at, that a lot of jurisdictions, not not only Colorado, but outside of Colorado, are taking a look at and like i said some of them have already made some uh, significant changes and some significant improvements okay well is there anything that you wanted to touch on today that we haven't had an opportunity to talk about i think that's it i I think i think you know collaboration has been a an important uh concept for me um before i joined the branch but certainly since joining the branch and again i think it's interesting because i think if you ask most people out there, they would tell you, they would think that, well, you're a judge, so you're kind of isolated, so you do your own thing. But that's not really the case. You know, you can't succeed, even as a trial court judge, like I said, where you're assigned to a particular division, a particular docket, you still need to have collaboration. I think it is key to the success of every judicial officer here in Colorado, but also to the success of the branch. Okay. Well, what are your top three takeaways for taking action? to the audience for this episode of Beyond the Collab of Babel? Um, I would say, as it relates to collaboration, I would say um, teamwork is one that, you know, you can't uh, do things without um, working with other people and you can't be thinking about what's best for me and only focusing on yourself. You have to work together. You have to have in mind the, the goals of the team uh, and the goals of the branch. And so teamwork to me is critical. That's one. I would say collegiality would be the second. You know, how do you interact with other people? How do you get along? The relationships that you form with other people, relationships are key. If you don't get along with other people, if you don't have relationships with other people, then you're probably not going to have collaboration. I think those go hand in hand. And then the last thing I would say would be commitment. You know, the commitment to to the mission, to the mission to do justice. How committed are you, you know, to 
the mission of the branch to do justice. That means having to work harder uh, than, than maybe um, other people do. That means maybe having to stay late at night sometimes. That means maybe having to work on weekends sometimes. Doing whatever you have to to achieve our mission to do justice. So I would say those, those three things is what I would men- mention as they relate to what we've been discussing today uh, in terms of collaboration. Okay, thank you. Those are good. Uh, so now we like to do the getting to know your guests. Um, and so first question is, what surprised you about this podcast? What surprised me about the podcast is how, uh, what an easy time I'm feeling. <laughs> it's just like having a conversation. I was a little nervous that I, it was going to be more like, a, it was going to feel more like an interview, but frankly, it feels very conversational and it feels like I'm just talking to a friend. And so I, I appreciate that. Me too. Thank you. What is your favorite thing or place in Colorado? So my favorite place in Colorado is the Royal Gorge uh, Bridge. Uh, it's just beautiful, stunning views. And um, it's an amazing bridge. Uh, I, I, you know, every time I see it, it still uh, surprises me or shocks me that, that this bridge is a possibility. You know, first of all, how, how does it work that it's suspended, right, like that? But secondly, how did they do it? How did they put it together? Uh, so I, I, it's one of those uh, beautiful things to see. But even standing on the bridge, you know, you get this adrenaline because it's a little, a little bit of a scary yeah. feeling. The bridge moves a little bit when yeah. it's windy. But I, I re- so I really enjoy that. I, I, I love uh, visiting there. And that's my favorite place in Colorado. Okay, where is somewhere in the world you dream of visiting one day? So I want to go to Barcelona someday because I've heard so many great things about it. Um, and I've heard it's beautiful. I'm a big soccer fan. I love to watch a, a, a soccer game where Messi plays. Uh, okay. And so that's, that's my, one of my, the places that I dream okay. to go to. Well, that, I've not been to Spain or Barcelona, but it's on my list as well. What's your perfect meal? So my perfect meal, um, I would say, I mean, I, I, I like to eat, as you can see, but maybe the perfect meal would be uh, a bison or buffalo burger. And the reason why is that I think it's guilt-free. It okay. t- to me, it tastes just like a regular burger, but it's fairly healthy. So you don't feel, you know, you don't feel guilty about having a burger. Okay. You're, if you, you feel like you're having a, a hamburger, but you know, you're, it's actually not too bad for you. It's actually a pretty healthy meal. So. All righty. Okay. Lastly, what is something you believe for a long time that you later found to be untrue? So this is going to sound silly, but, uh, you know, for the longest time, I thought that attorney registration numbers, um, when we, you know, when you become an attorney, when you pass the bar, you get assigned an attorney registration number. And my number is 19955. Well, when I first got it, this is back in 1990, I'm just a young kid in my 20s, you know, and uh, it so happened that the last four numbers are the same last four digits of my phone number at the time. I was, you know, I was living with my parents, I was 23. And so, you know, I thought, (laughs) oh, well, you know, they give you a one, they put a one in front of it, and then it's the last four numbers of your telephone number. Okay. <laughs> so it took me a long time to finally figure out that 
hello, you know, <laughs> it's based on when in the process you become a lawyer, right? Yep. It's, it goes in chronological order. And so I'm lawyer attorney number 19,955. Okay. So, <laughs> it has nothing to do with the phone number. It has nothing to do with the phone number, but it took years before I finally, you know, it, 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 it dawned on me that this isn't related to your phone number. So... <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for today's episode of Beyond the Collab Babble. Once again, I just want to thank you for appearing as a guest and uh, I think this is a wrap. Hey, thank you so much, Bill. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, that's it for this episode of Beyond the Collab Babble. Listen, learn, listen, lead, learn, take action. Listen, learn, listen, learn, take action. Listen, learn, listen, learn, take action.